I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A warning, this series contains discussions of themes that might be distressing for some listeners. I don't believe he's walked out there. What I know unfolded that night and what's been told is totally different. If it all played out and it was the truth, I could believe it, but I don't believe it at all. The Boy in the Water is a newsroom.co.nz production. Mysterious circumstances, improbable theories, a debacle of a police investigation and a small town on edge. What really happened to little Lockie Jones? Kia ora, I'm Melanie Reid, Newsroom's Investigations Editor, Welcome to the second episode of our podcast, The Boy in the Water, Return to Gore. It's the 11th of November 2021, a little over a year since we published our first investigation into the death of three-year-old Lockie Jones. And the boy's father, Paul Jones, and his friend and support person, Karen Maguire, arrive at a local cafe in Gore, the Stable Kitchen. They are meeting with Detective Inspector Stu Harvey. He's in charge of the reinvestigation of the case, which has taken police 12 months to do. At the cafe, Paul and Karen are feeling nervous 
but hopeful about the meeting. As Stu Harvey has told them, the police have finished the job, finished the reinvestigation. When that meeting was scheduled, we were quite excited because we thought there's no way they're going to come back and say, you know, Lockie drowned and they've got some more information. But in fact, he came back and word for word, I'll read it to you now, this is what I wrote down, there is insufficient evidence on the facts that we have at this time in regards to any criminal culpability of any person in regards to Lockie's death. And it was at that stage that Paul threw his arms in the air and walked out of the meeting because he just wouldn't sit and listen to anything else. And what did you think when you heard that? Well, I'll tell you what I said to him. I said um, that if Lockie was my little boy, I'd reach across the table right now and throttle him. Really? Yeah, I did. Pretty emotionally charged, but we were really high on believing that they would have come back with a different result. And they didn't, so it was really disappointing. Why did you think they would come back with a different result? Oh, we'd pointed out so many discrepancies in that file, and he couldn't answer the questions that we asked him. So when you pointed them out, mm -hmm. He did what? He said what? Oh, his main um, answer was, all that's irrelevant. So we were told originally by D.O. Harvey. Detective Inspector Harvey. That's right. So he was our liaison officer. He was our point of contact. And he assured us it would be done, this investigation, reinvestigation would be done to a homicide level. And that they would cross all the T's and dot the I's for the police. Now my understanding of that was they would do exactly that. They would go out and work in almost like a web-like frame. They would they'd follow all leads until all leads were exhausted. But perhaps the other understanding of I will dot the I's and cross the T's for the police is I will cover up what the police did in their first investigation. That's a bit sarcastic, isn't it, Karen? Is it a wee bit? Or is it the truth? <laughs> well, what do you think? Do you think that's what's happened? Yeah, I do think that's what's happened. Here's Paul Jones. I don't think the um, second investigation's any better than the first. I've got no answers and uh, no answers at all. And they don't know what happened? No. No, and, and they've admitted that at that meeting. Nobody knows sorry. how we got out there. Paul Jones and Karen Maguire cannot and will not accept this finding and are about to double down on their efforts to find the truth, and so are we. We go away and once again pour over all the files, which is when we realise that in the initial autopsy report, the Invercargill pathologist had written that Lockie's lungs were, and I quote, unremarkable. That was when we asked ourselves, how could the lungs be unremarkable if Lockie had drowned? Surely there would be some abnormalities to the lungs. Um, the prosecution has to send that Late in 2022, we engaged Dr Anna Sanderford from the Forensic Group in Christchurch to facilitate and arrange the sample slides of Lockie's body tissue and other autopsy information to go overseas for review. This isn't an easy process. The samples have to be released to an approved party, so the appropriate chain of custody is used to ensure the scientific integrity of the process. 
As we said earlier, the Invercargill pathologist back in 2019 concluded Lockie had died from drowning and we want an overseas independent forensic pathologist to review that finding. Here's Dr Anna Sandefit. New Zealand has a shortage of forensic pathologists to do the work that's here already. It's also a small country, so finding somebody who's independent of everything else is really hard. So we have to go overseas for a lot of areas of expertise and forensic pathology is one of them. Early in 2023, we returned to Gore. We've finally got the results from the UK forensic pathologist, results which reignite the case. Hello. Hi, Paul, it's Mel. Hi, Mel. How far away are you? I reckon about 10 minutes. Is that, does that work for you? If I meet you out at the ponds? All good. It'll be good to see you, Mel. OK, we'll see you in about 10. How you been going? Uh, battling on. Same. It's February 2023, so it's now four years since Paul Jones' son Lockie was found dead, presumed drowned, in the town's oxidation ponds. I am worn down. It's been a lot of stress and anxiety and fighting. And So tell me... What we tell Paul about the findings from the UK pathologist, which we will detail soon, but in short... They certainly throw serious doubt about whether Lockie even died as a result of drowning at all. Uh, it's more like I told you so. We've now got the proof that there's no proof that my son drowned. So what happened to my son? The official story has always been that Lockie ran away from home about 9pm climbed a gate or fence and went about 1.2 kilometres over a rough track to the end of the ponds, fell in and drowned. If it all played out and it was the truth, I could believe it, but I don't believe it at all. And now Paul Jones has more to back up his claim that Lockie didn't accidentally drown, but died some other way or was possibly murdered. Here's forensic scientist Dr Anna Sandiford, who, as we explained earlier, we'd engaged to review the original post-mortem findings from 2019, which concluded death by drowning. She sent images of tissue sample slides and relevant documentation to UK forensic pathologist Dr Alexander Kolar, who specialises in investigating suspicious deaths. Essentially, Dr Kolar is saying that there isn't enough information from the post-mortem um, that was done originally to support the diagnosis of drowning that's been provided. So he's saying that there's, there's not the medical pathological evidence to support a diagnosis of drowning. Yes, and the main reason for that is because the original post-mortem was not conducted by a forensic pathologist. Can you just explain the difference between 
a general pathologist. Do you call it a general pathologist and a forensic so, pathologist? For ease, in this I talk about non-forensic pathologist and a forensic pathologist. So in this circumstance, a non-forensic pathologist was instructed. So that person may not necessarily be fully trained to do a forensic post-mortem. That decision was made for some reason and therefore a kind of standard post-mortem was conducted which is not as thorough. Because you're not qualified. Either you're not like qualified. to the level of a forensic pathologist. Or you're not trained potentially to do it. The frustrating thing is the police had, um, they had the option to use a forensic pathologist. And they didn't, and we need to know... Here's Karen Maguire, Paul's long-time friend and support. Because that night, they'd already determined that Lockie had drowned. The box was ticked for the coroner, no suspicious circumstances. And so that's why it's gone to a general pathologist. I know my son didn't walk out there. I'm his dad, and I know what he was capable of, and not running out of a house at 9 o'clock at night and jumping over some fence and jumped in a bloody pond was not what he was capable of. He used to go to the swimming pool and sit on the edge because he knew he wasn't allowed in the water until someone was with him. So why would he suddenly change his mentality? As explained in the last episode, we walked from where Lockie lived with his mum and half-brother in Salford Street to where his body was found, which is about 1.2 kilometres. It took us roughly 20 minutes, but Lockie was only three and a half and he had a full nappy and bare feet. It was just after 9pm when his mum said he ran away. He would have had to have climbed over a cyclone gate with barbed wire or a wooden fence, go along a rough gravel road, up an embankment and across long prickly grass with thistles and nettles, all the way to the end of two enormous ponds. Strangely, Lockie had no marks or even scratches on his bare feet. I uh, went to the funeral home, the funeral director, and um, we were seen his body and then I got him and his assistant to check. So they took all his stuff off him and checked it and there's no marks. Here's the statement written by funeral directors Hammond and Ryder. It's voiced by an actor. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. To whom it may concern, in regard to Lachlan Paul Graham Jones passing, Hammond and Rider Funeral Services were engaged to care for Lachlan Jones by his family. Lachlan was delivered to our care from the police transporter once the post-mortem had taken place. Upon receiving Lachlan into our care, Kevin Hammond and Liz Ryder both went into the mortuary to do the preparation on Lachlan. Whilst doing the preparation on Lachlan, we both noted that Lachlan's body was in perfect condition. No visible markings that we could see, apart from a wee mark on his neck. Once we had completed our preparation, we laid Lachlan to rest in his casket. Lachlan stayed the first night at the funeral home, and the next day Paul visited us and mentioned was there any markings on Lachlan's wee feet and legs. Kevin and I both went back into Lachlan's room and removed his footwear and socks and pulled his wee sweatpants legs up to double-check if we'd missed any marks on his body. There were no visible marks on his feet or legs. Yours sincerely, Kevin Hammond and Liz Ryder. Here's Dr Sanderford again. Somebody made a decision seemingly very early on in the process to not request a full post-mortem. And so that's when we sort of start talking about unconscious bias. The police made a decision very early on that this was an accidental drowning. Yes. On the face of it? On the face of it. So if you've already told somebody, like a pathologist, that it's a drowning case and it's not suspicious, then the post-mortem will be done on the basis that, in theory, we already know what the outcome is because this child drowned. From the minute they found him, they put it down to drowning. Nothing else. And they haven't even explored any other options ever. And once that's out in the public, it's like a tunnel vision. Well, the, the expert said he drowned. What do you understand should have been done in terms of the autopsy? Oh, there should, there'll be a procedure that forensic um, pathologists follow, and it'll be pretty in-depth. So there'll be things like X-rays, CT scans, um, water samples taken from lungs, samples taken from the stomach, you know, all analysed. None of that was done in the initial autopsy. So there's a big difference, isn't there, between a routine autopsy yep. and a forensic autopsy? Absolutely. How do you see those comparisons? It would be like going to a mechanic to get your tooth out. You've got to go to the right person for the right job, and Lockie wasn't taken to the right person. No, and this was done by a person that's never done a child. He wasn't qualified to do it. Back to the review and report done by expert UK pathologist, Dr Kolar. I've worked with Dr Kolar now for, no, 10, 15 years. And because he's in the UK, he's one step removed from here. So he has no skin in the game. And overall, he considers there's not enough information to, to make a, a decision on the cause of death as being drowning. Because what we're dealing with is a father who's been agitating for a long time saying, 
I don't believe my son drowned. I don't believe my son drowned. And in this point in his report, he's sort of making comment that there could be other causes of death, maybe. Yes, he says it's impossible, using the pathology, to exclude somebody else having been involved in the death. But you would need to do other forensic and investigation approaches and techniques to be able to guide that investigation. And so again, I come back to the same point that had we done more work at the very beginning, more work had been done at the investigative stage, we'd have more foundation, we'd have a bigger foundation and more information, and more information about what our final jigsaw puzzle looks like. One of the key elements in the UK pathology report is about lung weight, referring to drownings. The pathologist says due to the waterlogging, the weights of the lungs are generally significantly elevated. The report explains that the mean weight of a three-year-old boy's lungs is roughly 300 grams. Three-and-a-half-year-old Lockie's lungs weigh just 245 grams, so under the average, which means there was no evidence of waterlogging because his lung weight was not elevated. Due to waterlogging, you would expect the lungs to be heavy. That's on the assumption that all lungs in drowning cases are waterlogged and are therefore heavier. Uh, what he's actually saying here is that the, the lungs are not heavy and in fact they're slightly light for a child of his age. Having this new evidence from Dr Kolar that the diagnosis that Lockie had drowned was unsafe was on its own, a major turning point. But as we would discover, the UK pathologist wasn't the only expert saying this. It turns out the police had engaged their own forensic pathologist, Dr Martin Sage, during its reinvestigation of the case. And he was also highly critical of the original post-mortem. This is his summary. It's not his real voice. There are no findings recorded in this report which of themselves supported a diagnosis of drowning. And the extent of the exclusions made, particularly the failure to examine the head and brain, is insufficient to make drowning a safe diagnosis. So now we have not one, but two expert forensic pathologists saying the findings of the original post-mortem done in Invercargill are unsafe. Paul, who accepts he can be a bit of a hothead, picked up the phone and rang that Invercargill pathologist. And what did you say to him? Oh, that the job wasn't done properly. <laughs> You're laughing. You said a bit more than that, though, didn't you? Well, there should be L plates at the end of the table. There should be L plates at the end of the table. Sorry. That's still funny. <laughs> right. Do you regret those things, Paul? No, not really. There was something else, something major. We'd later find out that the invercargal pathologist never wanted to do the post-mortem in the first place and felt pushed into it. This is part of a recorded conversation when police tell Paul and Karen about the pathologist's reluctance to do it. I talked to him and he said, I want to do that. I talked to him and he said, 
I didn't want to do that post-mortem. I didn't want to do it. I don't do children. I didn't want to do it. What's become obvious is that the police had got the wrong person to do the wrong job and ended up with the wrong outcome. Now we've got two forensic pathologists and a forensic scientist, Dr Anna Sanderford, uh, saying it's an unsafe diagnosis. That he drowned. That's exactly right. Just shows that not only one but two police investigations have been done substandardly and I haven't got the answers that I need. Paul and Karen believe Lockie was carried or possibly driven. The ponds were accessible by vehicle back then. And they think he had been dead for some time before being put in the water. We don't know how long he was dead for. That's another red flag I've got. His body was stone cold. I don't think he went missing anywhere near the time that they've suggested he was missing. The timelines are all not right. His body was cold, no marks on his feet or body. A dog never picked up a scent. The police until, dog? Yeah, until 40 metres out. That would indicate he was either carried out there or driven out there. There's nothing, nothing that they've ever given me to say he walked out there. And if he'd fallen into that water, it's on such a gradient that, um, you know, hands out first, because that's what little kids do to protect themselves, there's not a mark on his body. It's perfect. None of it, added, none of it adds up, still doesn't add up. What about the depth of the pond? He would have been able to stand up. Yeah, easily. If he'd fallen in, he would have been able to stand up. So it was really shallow. Yep. yep. In the midst of this interview, things take an unexpected turn. There's always that option of Lockie telling his story. What does that mean? It means Lockie might still hold the key yet. He might still be holding on to that forensic evidence. What are you saying? That maybe Lockie needs to be exhumed and it's his turn to tell his story. Would you go that far? Well, we've talked about it. Yeah. We're not going to stop. We're from South Lamel, we're fought on the front line. We're not, we're not mucking around anymore. We're bringing the big guns to the fight. No more knives. Mm. It's Lockie's time now. The police have had their chance. They've let Lockie down. He's a three-year-old wee, wee boy. They've let my son down, but not anymore. And when you say you're bringing in the big guns, aside of myself, of course, yeah. <laughs> no, when you, when you say you're bringing in the big guns, you're bringing in international forensic... Detectives. Detectives. Who, who are they? We can't tell you who she is, but um, this, is, this is what she does for a job. This is her speciality. She won't stop till she finds the truth. Do you think there's a few people in this town that should be a bit afraid? That the truth's going to come out. Definitely. And the truth's coming out, so... It's only a matter of time now. We're going to meet this international forensic detective later in the series.
But next, in episode three, the mysterious case of little Lockie Jones draws in the whole town as its counsel gets linked to his death. That charge was a serious one. Is that like causing the death? Heavy linkage to that death, yes. And we were just not prepared to sign up for that. And You've also got a very experienced former CIB detective on your council, have you not? Yes. So maybe they didn't see you guys coming. For more journalism that matters, including our award-winning true crime series and podcast Peter, Alice, The Crash Case and Me, head to newsroom.co.nz or your favourite podcast app. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate and review our series. It helps new listeners find us. You can also follow our social media pages by searching The Boy in the Water. This series is written and produced by me, Melanie Reid, along with Bonnie Sumner and Judith Curran. It's edited by Paul Entercott. Original music by H. Pryor. You're listening to The Boy in the Water, public interest journalism funded through Aotearoa New Zealand on air.